Amen. Well, we invite any children here, kindergarten through second grade, to be dismissed to Children's Church. morning. So Jeremy's taking us through a sermon series in the book of Proverbs. So I'd like to ask you to turn to the book of Romans. We are, yeah, this is uh, interesting. If you're new here, we've already had a reading from the book of Acts. Uh, We're doing that every Sunday. We're slowly reading through the book of Acts together. And uh, we're doing a sermon series in the book of Proverbs, uh, one of Jeremy's interminable sermon series which may be done within a few years. Uh, We're just in the beginning stages of it, but uh, the topic that I was going to address today finds its clearest expression, I I feel, in the book of Romans. So would you turn with me to Romans chapter 11, uh, the last part there. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1122. And we're talking about the fear of the Lord, the, the beginning of wisdom, that's what Proverbs says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the fear of the Lord is, is the footwork in fencing. It's the footwork, the basics, it's the ABCs of wisdom. And so to understand the fear of the Lord, we need to understand who the Lord is so that we can respond to him with reverent love for his, uh, for his majesty, for his majestic holiness. So we're, we're looking today at God's wisdom. God's wisdom. And so we're picking up in Romans chapter 11 with verse 33. Paul has been talking about the mysterious way that God has worked among the nations. He chose a people for himself, the Jewish people. Then he's made known the Messiah, the Son of God. And his very own chosen people have rejected the Messiah And God has opened the way for people like us, Gentiles, people of all the different nations, to come and be saved. And so Paul ends this difficult passage, Romans 9 through 11, with worship. Because that's the response to the mysterious uh, depths of God's wisdom. Romans 11, 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, open our hearts to your word. Speak to us today and make dark things light to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I was there the night that they decided to remove the respirator. This uh, seemed to be the wisest thing to do, but the mood around the bedside was one of cold despair. Here lay uh, a young, smart, energetic, 
stylish single mom, uh, a worshiper of God, and uh, the family members were, were there saying their goodbyes. She had come down with a headache just three days before. The doctor said it probably started with a mosquito bite. And so she lay there uh, eerily unconcerned, but the family members saying goodbye were in a very tender state. And they, they clenched their jaws, they clenched handkerchiefs, there were dark circles under moist eyes, trembling voices. It, it, was, a, it was a moving time to be there, they, they couldn't grasp what was happening. They were, they were so opened up by the, the rawness of the situation that they were even ready to turn to a Baptist pastor with their religious question at that moment. How does God allow things like this? And that's the question that we're looking at. You know, sometimes God in his wisdom can seem so high that he can seem uncaring. And sometimes the wisdom of God can can be uh, it can leave us in despair it can overwhelm us and and leave us uncertain unsure the world seems dark it seems out of control it seems astray and what the bible teaches us is that indeed we can't understand god's wisdom but though we can't understand it uh we, 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 we turn to God in worship in the midst of, of being overwhelmed that we look up to him and we see one who is awesome and who is in control and who is lifted up. So what Paul does here is he, he comes to this difficult topic. It's overwhelming how God is acting in ways that were completely unpredictable, that completely uh, turn the heart upside down, but Paul is moved to worship. So what Paul is saying is that God's wisdom calls overwhelmed people to worship. And so we see that God does does have knowledge, that he does have things figured out, that God is in control, that he knows what he's doing, and that God is working out his plan, and that he knows where he's taking things. So we want to look first in in verse 33, and see how God indeed has everything figured out. God has everything figured out, and he knows what he's doing. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. It's wisdom. God has wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to do things the right way, and God has infinite wisdom. He knows what he's doing. It's we who try to look at things from our, our perspective who don't see it. But what Paul says is that there are riches of God's wisdom. There are riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. In other words, riches are the things that delight. Riches are the things that, that excite us, that move us, the things that thrill us. So there are thrills to the wisdom and knowledge of God. There is a satisfaction, there is a security that God enjoys in His wisdom and that He shares with us because He's wise and He shares His wisdom with us. 
and he shares the treasures, the riches of his wisdom and his knowledge with us as his children. There are riches in God's wisdom. But Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches. And what he's saying is that these treasures, the valuable, wonderful things of God's wisdom are inexhaustible. That when you start to bore down into what is the quality, when you start to experience the satisfaction of God's wisdom, which one day we will fully be able to do when we see things in a more clear way, when we cross to the other side, but when we will bore down into the riches, we will find that they never cease to thrill, a satisfaction that never dries up, an excitement, a joy that only grows richer and fuller the more that we experience it. God's wisdom is rich and it is deep in riches. And so Paul, Paul is leading us to worship God and he says um, that God's ways are unsearchable and his paths beyond tracing out. That God's wisdom is unsearchable. That he's got it all figured out. That he's gone far ahead. That he's examined all the possibilities. That he's figured everything out. That the whole of the universe is laid before him. That his wisdom is sufficient to comprehend all of it and that his inexhaustible wisdom uh, goes to the very limits and beyond. If you see a, uh, a master chess player, you know, they sometimes do these demonstrations where the chess player is playing multiple games at the same time. He's going from game to game to game. And uh, you know these people, these chess players, they can think so many moves in advance. And so with each game they come along and each of the people who's playing against him, you know, an advanced chess player, they have all this time to come up with their move, but he just has to come, look at the board, remember what he was doing, make his move, and go to the next one, go to the next one. God has wisdom that far surpasses that kind of ability. You know, you see a really good chess player, and you, maybe you're playing against someone who's really good, and you make a move, maybe it's um, you know, just sort of a random move, it's whatever you think of doing, now, this guy's thinking way ahead, and he sees the significance and everything, and you make some move, my brother used to do this. All of a sudden, his eyebrows would go up. He's a little surprised. But very quickly, his eyebrows would furrow. And he starts concentrating. And he says something quiet like, hmm. Because now something occurred to him that hadn't occurred to him before. And now he's going to think it through. And he's going to think it through afresh. And he's going to work it out. Because I did something he didn't expect. It never happens to God. God's wisdom is inexhaustible. He's thought of everything. He has it all figured out. He knows what he's doing. So Paul worships when he's mystified. And so God calls us to worship when we're overwhelmed at the very point where the chess player makes a move that seems strange. He sacrifices his best piece. That's the point at which we have to look and say, He's amazing. He knows what he's doing. And our God is glorious in his wisdom. So we should give thanks in all circumstances. That's what 1 Thessalonians says. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Be joyful always. Give thanks in all circumstances. All kinds of things come into our lives. There's the, the loss of a loved one. 
there's uh, the, the, the overturn of the economy, you know, our housing values change, our jobs disappear. A couple of friends of mine, Dave and Tammy, sat with us and told us uh, about how they had tried to have children for years and they had wanted to have a baby and they had been unable to. And uh, Dave, with his, you know, his exuberance, un- unquenchable exuberance, was just talking about how you know, finally they had adopted you know, a little baby from Guatemala. They had this, this wonderful little baby. And that's when his wife got pregnant. And uh, so it, it seems so strange that now they had, they had sort of gone down two different paths and they didn't know where they were going. But they were thrilled that God knew that God had a plan for their family. And uh, these are the things that happen to us. You, you, uh, you get into a job situation and it turns out that you've got the boss that, that, that could, could make the cartoon strip. And... Uh, you just have to, you have to look at God and say, you know what you're doing. You're going to do something with this. You're going to turn this in some direction. And we will have all eternity to look back on all the strange things that God did in the world and unpack them. And we won't finish unpacking them after a thousand years, after 10,000 years. We'll still be marveling at the depths of God's riches in his wisdom and his knowledge. So when we're overwhelmed by confusion, when we're overwhelmed by the inability to understand God's wisdom, then we should worship. And so we worship when, when God overwhelms us with an inability to trace out and understand his wisdom. And we worship when things seem out of control, when things seem like we've become very small, that the world is drifting and when, uh, when things seem just to drive us crazy with their randomness because God is in control of everything. God maintains control. In his wisdom, he guides all things and he maintains control. You know, it's a, you know we sometimes wish that we had great powers like God, but I think it would be a very hard job to be God. And uh, we, we're so grateful that he has the wisdom to be God. And he can keep everything in control. He can manage all of his power. God has everything un- under control. His wisdom is all sufficient. And so this is what Paul says. If you'll look in verse 34, he, he quotes from the Old Testament here. And this is the transition. Who has known the mind of the Lord? That's the idea that only God knows everything, or who has been his counselor. And here is the idea that God doesn't quite have it under control and maybe he needs some help. Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? And so we have a sense sometimes that God needs a little help, that things aren't quite running the way they ought to run, and that we need to step in and give a little assistance here and there. God doesn't need our advice. He doesn't need our help. Imagine, would you go into the, to the garage and advise your mechanic about how to fix your car? He just wants to know, uh, you know what, what the symptoms are that you see. 
In fact, there are some garages where you can go in and you can help the mechanic. Do you know that the rate doubles when you do that? And there's a reason. It's because you're not really very helpful. And you need, you need, you're as much work as the car is at that point. Um, would you give advice to your surgeon? Would you give advice to your God? So, you know, God doesn't need our help. We bring offerings, but God doesn't need our offerings. We bring gifts, but God doesn't need them. We have our wisdom, we have our contributions, we have our efforts, but God doesn't need us. So why do we try? Why do we even try? When you understand that God has everything in control, it can, it can be sort of uh, a demotivating thing. But don't let it demotivate you. Be encouraged that God is controlling your efforts, God is controlling your contributions, and he's working them into his plans. But be humble. Work humbly. My dad, when we were small, he used to make Christmas presents for us kids out of wood. You know, he would paint them down in his workroom. One year, he made us each a ship, a wooden ship. Uh, mine only had one smokestack. My, bro- my big brothers had bigger ships, but I loved mine because it was mine. And uh, after my father gave it to me, I guess the paint hadn't been dry in advance, so it was time to write the, the name of the ship there on the stern. And so he sat with me. I was about two years old. I barely remember this. I, I must have been a little older. I, I knew letters. So he sat with me with a magic marker and he said, well, let's put the name on the ship. What letter should we put first? And so we put an E and then we put an S because that was the first letter of my name. And so we went through that whole thing. And you know, for years, I had the impression that somehow... I had suggested to my father what each letter should be and that together we had arrived at the name Essex. And then, of course, years later, I discovered that the Essex was a very famous uh, ship and uh, that, of course, I couldn't have really come up with that name. But my father had delighted in my participation in what he was doing. God delights in our participation He delights in our efforts. He delights in our gifts. Though we don't really make a huge contribution and His wisdom is still able to guide everything. Uh, So, do what you do. Give your offering. You owe gratitude to God. And God doesn't need you. You are small. You're very small. I love how Isaiah says it in Isaiah 40. That... The nations are as a drop in a bucket. It's in the Bible, right there in Isaiah 40:15, that there is dust on the scales. You know, before you weigh, you know, your pound of beans, you don't even bother blowing the dust off because it doesn't even weigh as much as one bean altogether. God has great affairs with which He is concerned, the great affairs of His glory, and nations are like dust on the scales in comparison with these affairs. We're very small. Our concerns are very small. We don't matter all that much. But God cares about us. You know, we just need to have a humble attitude and remember that we're a little bit funny. So when you you do serious things and and great things and, and you work hard and take your life seriously... Don't take yourself too seriously. 
I, I heard on a, um, a frontline show the other day uh, called The Undertaking. It's a, it's a show about funerals in America. It, it, it follows the story of a funeral home in Michigan. And the guy, the funeral director, is this poet. And he wrote a book and everything. And so the, the fellow says, he, he reflects this attitude so very well about not taking his work too seriously and yet seeing the value in it. He says, So much of what we do as undertakers is held up to ridicule, but it is just how you blur your eyes, whether you want to see the silliness of what we humans do when someone dies, or if you look at it carefully and see in it something deeply sublime. The value of of your work is not in the work itself, but it's that it's a part of God's great plan. So God has everything figured out. God knows what he's doing. God has everything under control. And his, his wisdom is all-sufficient to handle everything. And God is working out everything according to his plan. God has a plan and his wisdom guides toward a perfect end, a perfect goal. So now we look at verse 36, and we see God's plan and how God is working everything together. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. The key in applying wisdom is to start with the right starting point and then to follow the right strategy to achieve the right goal. You, you start at, with the right materials and then you follow the right methods to reach the right end. And that's what God does. He starts at the beginning. He starts with himself. For from him, and then his method is himself, his own involvement, and through him, and his end point is himself, and to him are all things. Because as God surveys all of his domains, he can find nothing in all existence that compares with his own glory. There's nothing better for him to focus himself on. There's nowhere better for him to start. There's no better way for him to proceed. There's nothing better to aim at than himself and his own glory and his own presence. Praise the Lord. Worship God because he is guiding everything and working out everything according to a marvelous plan and bringing out a marvelous uh, completion in what he's doing. A child can understand what God is doing here. Cheering for the winner. Cheering for the one who's best. And we all get it. We all understand it. Well, I suppose at some point we do have to look at the book of Proverbs. So would you turn back with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. If you go to the middle of the Bible and turn right just a little bit, you'll be in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 30, page 655 in the Pew Bible. And this last part of Proverbs, there's sort of an epilogue to Two chapters that are from obscure people. Uh, here chapter 30 is from someone called Agur, son of Yake. 
and it's not really clear who he is. There's no other mention of him in the Bible. It might be that he's actually from um, another country. Further, He might be one of the wise men of the East that's referred to in Scripture. Anyway, this fellow, he talks about our, our theme here, that God's wisdom far surpasses our own, that it overwhelms us and that it leaves us in a despair. And so uh, Agur talks about this despair and then he throws out the little shred of hope that, that can keep us going. And it's the idea that God understands and that we can worship. Uh, Proverbs 30, 1 through 4. The sayings of Agur, son of Yake, an oracle. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Ukal. I guess they're his disciples. I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollows of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and the name of his son? Tell me if you know. So Agur is in despair for his ability to figure things out for himself. He's in despair and he's overwhelmed, unable to understand life and to understand his place in things, to understand the basic wisdom that a human being needs to live. But he knows that God understands. And that's our encouragement. And this is the way in which the Lord Jesus led us. At the Garden of Gethsemane, he bowed and he asked his Father in complete trust upon his Father's wisdom, if it is possible, may this suffering pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. When Phil stood up in our campus student group, things got quiet. He always, uh, we always enjoyed listening to him speak in his New Zealand accent, but here he was giving us a kind of a lesson that we were not used to receiving in a campus student group, a lesson about death. A friend of his, an acquaintance, a lady had just recently died, and he was sharing with us about some words that she had spoken a few months before as she pondered her coming death of cancer. And uh, the words made an impact on him, and he shared them with us. They made an impact on us. And I wrote them down in my Bible at the time. And here's what Maria said, who died of cancer in September 1980. And I don't know if the words were original to her, but they stuck with me, and I hope they'll stick with you. I don't understand the hand of God, but I understand the heart of God, and that's enough.